So after uh, after three Sundays of sermons in Matthew, I'm going to uh, resume preaching from lectionary readings for the week, uh, which actually takes us back to the Gospel of Mark. And this is a good place to do that because the transition turns us uh, away now from our Lord's hard sayings that he preached to that really fickle and, and kind of uninformed multitudes that gathered around him on Galilee hillsides uh, to now, to today, zero in on the hard-hearted, stiff-necked religious leaders who were constantly breathing down Jesus' name. And so today, instead of Jesus rebuking uh, that crowd of hangers-on who uh, have been following him for their own selfish agendas, our Lord goes now on the attack against the hypocritical religious leaders, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, for twisting the word of God that they professed to know and that they were sworn faithfully to teach. And so for the, um, for the distorted purpose, is actually the reason they did that, for this relevating their own man-made traditions uh, in an effort to keep their kind of thumb on the common folks uh, and to manipulate the masses into their own financial gain. And so Jesus' words to the religious elite today remind us that there are two ways to abuse the authority of Scripture. Either one in the temptation to say less than the Scriptures say about issues by ignoring or rejecting what's clearly written, or the tendency to say more than Scriptures say by insisting on our own ideas and our own additions to it. And as you're about to see in the reading, Scribes and Pharisees were guilty of both of those faults. So again, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. I'll be reading to you from chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. And I'm going to drop down to 14 to 23. So this is Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, this to Jesus, for some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with the five hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold the traditions of men. And then down to verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, and thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, 
wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. Brothers and sisters, that's the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to again open your word. We thank you, Lord, for these gracious words of our Lord Jesus who reminds us uh, that we can follow as many religious rituals as we want to, but they're not going to get us into heaven. We thank you for his clear word that all we need brothers and sisters of Christ, and to have a hope and a future in you uh, is to know him and to know his work. And so we ask Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive that message uh, and grant us today all that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know you're probably, you're probably likely to have heard this story before, maybe, maybe some of you haven't. Uh, Zig Ziglar used to love to tell the story uh, about the time that he won a, a prize country ham in sales contest. When he got home, he, he handed this big, beautiful ham to his wife, Jean, which she took it, and immediately cut the two ends off the ham and placed it in a, in a pan to roast. And, and Zig asked his wife, why did you cut the two ends off my prize ham? She said, well, that's how you bake a ham. And I know I'm right because that's how Mama always cooks her hams, and you always say they're delicious. Zig said, yeah, you're right, they are delicious, but why does your mama cut the two ends off the hand? Jean said, well, I'm not sure. Let's call mama and ask her. So they rang Jean's mother's house, and when she answered, she, she asked, uh, mama, why do you, I want to ask you something. Why do you always cut the two ends off the ham? Jean's mom said, honey, that's how you make hams. And I do it exactly like I've seen your granny do it ever since I was a little girl. Uh, but she's sitting right here with me, so let's ask her. She turned and said to her mother, she said, Granny, Gina and I want to know why you have to cut the two ends off the ham before you bake it. To which Granny replied, I don't know why you two do it, but I had to because I only had one roasting pan and it was way too small to cook a full ham in one <laughs> How many heard that story before, to be honest? Okay, not everybody. Uh, you know, we can laugh at that, but you know what the truth is? That kind of situation is really all too familiar, right? And it happens uh, to any of us because it's really easy to get caught up in the familiar patterns and the entrenched traditions uh, that surround us that we don't even consider why we're doing them in the first place. And, and that's what happened when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees from Jerusalem uh, headed north to Galilee to interrogate Jesus. That's actually one of the Pharisees' major functions, was to keep the whole nation on the same page when it came to religion. Uh, and more specifically for their purposes, uh, their own particular version of religion, with all of its 613 laws and commandments. Uh, that's why they brought along the teachers of the law, because those guys were essentially lawyers who were experts in the law of Moses, uh, experts in the whole body of their man-made traditions, and together, those two groups would travel around from synagogue to synagogue and from religious teacher to religious teacher uh, and check them out. And they always follow the same pattern. First, they'd go out and they would listen. they take notes. If they liked what they heard from the speaker, they moved on. Uh, 
they didn't like what they heard, they started asking questions of the teacher. And if they didn't like the answers to those questions, they began disputing with and publicly debating the offending instructor, instructor over matters of faith and Jewish practice. Uh, and because both of those groups, the scribes and the Pharisees, were made up of folks from the highest echelons of Jewish society, their influence was considerable. And as we've seen, they had some pretty regular run-ins with Jesus, didn't they? Because they didn't like anything that he got up to. And so Mark tells us that on one occasion, a group of them happened to still be hanging around uh, at mealtime, and they were horrified. They were scandalized to see that some of Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. Now, that didn't mean they, they didn't do it according to the Torah law of God, but they didn't do it according to an invented religious ritual that was primarily for ceremony and not really all that much for cleanliness. And you're going to see that because the procedure went something like this. First, you have to uh, hold out your hands with your fingertips pointing up and have water poured over them and, and let them, uh, that water drip down past your wrists. And then you turn the fingertips down and have fresh water poured over them again, followed by rubbing your hands together with your fists closed. And, and then you, you'd be okay to dry them off. Uh, and, and the really good Jewish boys, if they really wanted to impress the group they were eating with, they would redo that whole process between each course of each meal. Just to prove how originally pure and how clean they were, at least in the eyes of the other people they were eating. And in the case of the religious leaders in our scripture text today this morning, Jesus was about to change all that. Because when he came around, he usually shook things up, didn't he? He messed with people's priorities. And he came into a world that was saturated with customs and traditions and he forced people to actually look at and think about what it is they were doing in light of the faith that they professed. And let's be honest, even for us, even good and helpful practices can become so important to us that they overshadow the clear instructions of God in Scripture, don't they? Uh, and maybe more troubling because it happens almost perceptibly in the minutia of daily life that superstitions and social customs and popular culture begin to crowd out the vital influence of the Holy Spirit from our hearts and, and in effect weaken the connection that we have and that we need to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a quick example. I want you to uh, have you do a thought experiment with me, okay? So just, just use your sacred imagination. Let's imagine that we're all living in a society that places a high emphasis on some type of ritual purity. We're living in a place where everything you do is either regarded as clean or a society where people will judge you based on how you conduct yourself in comparison to the prevailing customs of the day uh, as to how acceptable and clean you are. And because of that, it would be really important to pay really close attention to every ritual and every detail and every custom because the consequences of being considered unclean would not just be socially disastrous, but would impact your ability to work a job or to shop in, in stores worship in public, uh, or, or even affect your kids, whether they go out and play or whether they can attend school. And, and I guess if you've been thinking along, you really don't have to imagine what that's like, is it? Uh, because we're living in that world right now. Uh, and they, we may not use terms in public like ritually clean or unclean, but their equivalents are just as powerful, right? Vaccinated or unvaccinated. Mask wearer or non-mask 
What places may we go? What events are we barred from? Uh, and it's the perfect picture, church, of the exact same thing that the Jews were arguing with Jesus about. But one really odd twist when I was thinking about this. It, you know, the ritual purity laws were important to the Jews because they believed that breaking them impacted their immortal souls. Whereas we modern folk are much less concerned about the hereafter and very much more concerned about the maintenance of our health. Like we could possibly somehow get enough shots and follow enough safety protocols and, and screen out enough infected folks from our social clubs and public coffee hours to make ourselves go on living indefinitely. That's not possible. And, and don't mishear me, I'm all for staying healthy. Please don't mishear this. I'm all for avoiding uncleanness. I'm all for killing off every germ that we can kill. Because being unclean can kill you. That's the reason restaurant cooks are required by law to wash their hands. That's the reason we sterilize things like baby bottles and bathroom fixtures. That's why there definitely are appropriate times for wearing masks and gowns and gloves and receiving all kinds of medical treatment because being unclean can be the difference between life and death. And yet, and yet it's into that same morass of competing ideas for the moral high ground that Jesus says today, don't you understand? Don't you know that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot make him unclean? And you see, in that way, Jesus is saying, you know, you'd be a whole lot happier, and better yet, your conduct would be a whole lot holier if you worried a little more about all the junk that's already on the inside of you, and a whole lot less about the dirt and germs swirling around you that you can't even reasonably hope to control with any amount of certainty. And just by way of a further explanation, don't read that story today as our Lord's disciples were dirty. As though they never bothered to wash their hands or take precautions before they ate. In fact, this whole conflict was not really a problem of hygiene at all. I'm sure they cleaned their hands before they ate. I don't doubt it in the slightest. But what bothered the Pharisees was they didn't do it in the right way according to tradition. You see, among the Jews... Uh, you could have washed your hands with the finest soaps and scrubbed them like a, a doctor preparing for surgery. But if you didn't do it in a certain way, their way, you were just as unclean ceremonially as though you hadn't washed at all. And so Jesus took that opportunity to point out how ridiculous it all was. And he said to them, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. That's what comes out of a person. Because the scriptures are clear that the entire race of humanity, brothers and sisters, is infected with a virus. A virus that is infinitely more frightening than COVID-19 and far more transmissible because it's actually part of our genetic code. And church, that virus is called sin. And it's terminal. I got it from my parents. You got it from their parents. And it goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. They, they were patient zero of our sin disorder. You know, every, every epidemic has a number, a patient zero, has an epicenter, a central point from where all that disease is set in motion. I think about like typhoid mirror in 1906, right? Or, or if you history buffs, private Albert Gitchell with the Spanish flu in 1918. Or Edgar Hernandez with H1N1 in 2009. And right now, today, behind the scenes, epidemiologists are in this frantic pace to reverse track the spread of the coronavirus back to its origins, not because we don't already all know where it came from, but because if we can ever identify that first person in the lab in Wuhan who contracted it, we might be able to find some answers about how to stop it. And that would be a good thing. 
when it comes to the Rona, right? Or you said the kids in the school call it cocoa, right? The Rona, the cocoa, whatever you call it. To find its origins and to cure it so that we could dispense with all the ritualistic rigmarole it entails from quarantines to, to mask mandates to booster shots for vaccines that aren't even six months old. All of which are being pushed by politicians and media pundits that I guarantee you would give the Pharisees in today's text a run for the money in terms of hypocrisy and hand-wringing over how to get everybody to follow all the rules they keep piling on, whether they're lawful rules or not. Uh, so much so that some places in the world today, like Australia and Canada, and right here at home in Temecula, California, people are being arrested and accused of open rebellion against the government for non-compliance. But church, there's a higher authority to which we owe a higher loyalty, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who fulfilled not only the letter, but the spirit of all the Old Testament laws in our place, and who always has our best interests at heart, even when we stubbornly refuse to see it, or see the consequences that his refusal invites. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth, this is what the Lord says, the children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me, even an ox knows its owner. The donkey recognizes its master, but Israel doesn't know its master. And people don't recognize my care for them. Why do you continue to invite punishment to us? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You're battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your field before your eyes and destroy everything they see. And your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. But now, wash yourselves and be clean. Not, not literally, but metaphorically. God says, get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good and seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them as white as wool. Church, those words were written by Isaiah over 2,700 years ago. But God could give that exact same verse, that exact same thing to us today, couldn't he? In, in Christ's call to us to repent of our sins and to come to him for healing. Uh, and for any of those that may be thinking, well, Pastor, I, I think I'm really okay the way I am. Thanks. Well, Please hear me. You may feel healthy today. You may feel okay. Uh, but if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, may I tell you that there is a terrible, invisible, insidious infection growing right now inside your soul. And an MRI can't find it. And CAT scans can't detect it. But the Word of God says it's there. And there's not a single thing you can do about it. And in the sight of God, because of that, in the sight of God and his holy angels, that infection makes you an outcast. Means you're quarantined from the privilege of a closer walk with him. Uh, and that there is a distance in your relationship with Jesus that's way bigger than the social distancing of six feet. And without his cleansing blood, your heart is as dirty as a pair of hands after a day in the dirt. And so the question is then, are you and I clean today? And not just with an external form of cleanliness that belies the blackness inside, but truly clean, all the way to the heart. And the good news, the good news that I have the high privilege to share with you today is if you aren't, 
If you don't know that you know you've been born again into a new and living hope, it's not too late. You can do it today. And the answer is not in putting yourself up or, or disguising your flaws, pretending like you're better than you are, but rather by putting your only hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says made purification for our sins. And he did it when he died on the cross. Where in that one horrific moment he took all of our sinful filth on himself and paid the penalty that we deserve for our crimes. In that moment on the cross, when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those awful moments where Jesus was experiencing the very definition of hell in our place, experiencing the abandonment and separation from the Father that we deserve, as God placed the whole contagion of all of the sins of his people on Jesus. And he didn't just take our sins, like you could take a filthy rag or something dirty and hold it at arm's length. And the word says that our Jesus became them, that he became our sin. And that because of that, the Father turned away from us. Because the Father couldn't bear to look at such a concentrated condensation of evil in the most intense display ever experienced on the planet. And so he averted his eyes from his son. And the light of his countenance went off for Jesus. All his blessedness was removed from the one that he loved, and in its place was the full measure of the divine curse. Except in this case, it wasn't for his sins. It wasn't his sins that caused it, it was yours. And it was mine that placed our Lord in quarantine from heaven. Uh, which is one of the reasons, just parenthetically, the Apostles' Creed, we repeat every week, says that our Lord descended into heaven. And he did it for you and me for no other reason that he loved us. For no other reason, in spite of the horrible price it cost him, when our perfect, sinless, infinitely just God, according to his own purposes, established a means for guilty, grubby, dirty, internally infected human beings to be reconciled to him without one ounce of guilt being swept under the rug, or one bit of justice unserved, or one drop of mercy wasted, all because of what Jesus endured to make us clean, not just outside, but all the way through. Just like Colossians chapter 2 says, He, meaning Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. And He made a way for all of His elect from righteous Abel in the garden to the thief on the cross, all the way down to you and me here today. To be reconciled to him. So I, I, I encourage you as you go out this week, church, don't depend on man-made rules to try to gain yourself a pure heart. Don't look to anyone but Jesus to put you right with God. And whatever you do, don't add to God's word. If something is in it, hold on to it and follow it. If it's not in there, forget it. And, and refuse to allow a mask of your own self-righteousness keep you from either recognizing your need for redemption, or from seeing the light of forgiveness in the face of Jesus, or from hearing his voice from heaven saying, call nothing impure that God has need And that can be you today. You can repent and believe the gospel, and you can be clean. You can do it as we pray for you. We pray for you. God, our Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world to Take upon himself all the, the filthiness and contagion of the sin that we are guilty of. 
And we thank you, Father, that through him you have made uh, a way for us to be clean, a way for us to be washed in your saving blood. And so I ask, Father, if there's even one uh, here this moment or one hearing this message later that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would first of all give them a conviction of their uncleanness. But then in that very moment, Lord, also show them the great love that brought them forgiveness. And so we trust uh, into your hands this message and this week, trusting and believing for all that you're about to do for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.